Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, church. Good morning. Wow, that's awesome. Um, I am John Caleb, and uh, I'm one of the members uh, and one of the deacons of this church, and I'm super excited to um, preach and teach God's Word this morning. Um, really excited for the opportunity. Thank you to the elders and, uh, and also to Mitchell and for the many of you guys who have really just prayed and encouraged and supported me in this, uh, in this whole season, so especially my community group. So really grateful for you guys. Love you so much. Um, really appreciate this opportunity. Well, as you could probably tell uh, from my weird accent and from my face, that uh, I am not from here, okay? And uh, that should not be a surprise to you. Uh, Well, I'm from India originally, and I moved from the city called Chennai, which is right at the, on the Indian Ocean, right at the edge of the Indian Ocean, and uh, very, relatively very close to the equator. Um, So as you could probably tell, it's pretty hot in there. Um, It's a very hot and humid place. You, you sweat pretty much literally the whole, all throughout the year, and you feel like an oil spill just walking around. Um, but by some sovereign, mysterious providence of God, um, I moved from Chennai, India, to Chicago, USA. Um, and uh, it, was, it was such a surprise. Uh, it was definitely, I was not ready for moving from 110 degree weather to 10 degree weather. Um, it was crazy, and I thought I would die, but I survived. Um, but I remember vividly, for the first time ever, um, seeing snow for the first time. And uh, I went up into the, my balcony, and I was like, gosh, this is literally ice falling from the sky. And I've never seen anything like this before. And I mean, I've seen it in Home Alone, but I've never seen it happen in my own life. This is crazy. That's awesome. And as I was just seeing this beauty of the snow, I just just wanted to experience it. So I just jetted out of my apartment, just in my pajamas and my house slippers. And I just went out and and just held this this little flurries of snow in my hand. And, And as it like, it dried pretty quickly, so I just, just held it up again, and, and I was just seeing the, the beauty, the intricacies, the, the, the shape, the contours, and, and the reflection of this snowflake, and how beautiful it was. And I was just mesmerized by the snowflake. I've never seen it in my entire life. And as I was just enjoying the glory of this moment, I realized I wasn't wearing enough clothes to be outside. So I jetted back in like a sane person. And after living a couple of years in Chicago, I realized human beings are not designed by God to live in a feet of snow every year. Um, So I moved down to Memphis uh, to get a reprieve. 
But now, after all that we have been through last year, if anybody says the word snow in Memphis, I get triggered. <laughs> I'm a millennial, I get triggered easily, but still. If anybody says the word snow, it's, it's bad, it's going down. I don't want to go another day without power or food or groceries or water or most importantly, toilet paper. That was, that was crazy, guys. But isn't that so like, interesting that how something that, that captured my attention, that captured my fascination so much, that was just so awe-evoking and, and, and just inspiring in my heart, this mic keeps dropping all the time. My ears are too big, I guess. Um, but anyways, that's an elf ear. My, love, my wife loves the movie Elf. But anyways, um, so as something that really just captured the attention of my heart, almost turned into a sense of trigger. Something that was, that was awe-evoking. Gradually, but surely, became something that filled my heart with apathy and disregard and even dread. Um, it might be a silly illustration, but, but isn't that so true for when we think about this Christmas season? Remember the days when you were really just excited and just your hearts were filled with anticipation for Christmas? The gifts, the smells, the food, the decorations. But somehow down the line, we have some, somehow lost the wonder and the anticipation and the joy and the beauty and the glory of the season. And I don't know where you are, but I have to confess that this season particularly has been, has been really busy. We have calendars really full with dinners and activities and events and decorations and so many things going on. And I've, I've felt a little bit tired, maybe even numb, and kind of dull in my own heart. So, so if, that's, if that's even you, I just want to create some space before we go into God's word, um, just for us to spend some time alone with the Lord, um, and just honestly, openly, to go before him and say, Lord, this is how I feel. Um, and just invite him into your presence. So maybe let's take maybe 30 seconds and I'll pray us in after that. Why don't we just create an altar wherever you are, maybe remove some distractions around you, and just ask the Lord to really speak to you, to maybe reawaken some of the lost wonder. God, we come before you this morning. In many ways, we feel tired, God. 
In many ways, we feel sort of dulled in our spirits and, and rushed. In many ways, we feel exhausted today. The world has drained so much of our energy and vitality, God. We have, we have sort of since lost a sense of wonder in our hearts. So God, we pray this morning as a church, personally me and also as a church corporately, that would you reawaken a sense of wonder in our hearts. Would you, would you stir our affections for you this morning, God? Would you help us see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ? Would you, oh, how our hearts have been dulled by maybe social media or other things, and especially in this season? Maybe we've been asleep at the majesty of God. So God, would you reawaken our hearts this morning? Would you revive our spirits this morning so that we would see you and experience you and behold you as you are? As the disciples who went on the road of Emmaus, as you opened your word to them, their hearts burned within them. So God, this morning, would you help us in that way so that our hearts would also burn for you. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Awesome, well, if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. Well, we have been, as you're opening there, we have been in the series called The Wonder of Christmas. The Wonder of Christmas. We saw a couple of weeks ago on the theme of the arrival of hope, of how when people were waiting and longing and anticipating, the arrival of Jesus symbolized the arrival of hope. And how last week we saw the humility of the king the humility of Jesus Christ, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equal with God, but emptied himself, taking upon the form of a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death. And we saw the humility of Jesus Christ. But today, we are going to see this theme that we see in Matthew chapter one, verses 22 to 23. So if you have your Bible, open it up to that place. Matthew chapter one, verse 23, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this morning, we are going to be camping out on the theme that is God, Emmanuel, 
who is with us. Matthew here is quoting from Isaiah chapter seven that God himself would give a sign and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And we even see that this is the essence of Christmas. There would be no Christmas if there was no God with us. If there was no Emmanuel, there would be no Christmas at all. So this is the fundamental core aspect of Christmas, that God became man and he dwelt among us. Emmanuel. So this morning, we're just gonna be camping out on these three words. God with us. You're probably thinking this should be over pretty soon, but you're wrong. I was trained by a bear. <laughs> but sorry, Barrett, I love you. Um, so just three points, guys. So type airs, breathe. Jesus is God. Jesus is God with, and Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God. Jesus is God who is with. Jesus is God with us. Just three points. All right, let's dig in. Jesus is God. One of the things that gets overshadowed, especially in this Christmas season, as we think about the Jesus story, as we think about the nativity, as we think about the manger, is especially Jesus like lying on the manger with, with in, in his humble estate. One of the things that gets overshadowed is the, the deity of Jesus Christ. It's the divinity of Jesus Christ. We sometimes even forget that, that this baby, Jesus, maybe crying and burping and, and wrapped up in this swaddling cloth and lying in this smelly little manger, we sometimes forget that this baby, Jesus, was still God, was still the co-eternal God was still the second person of the Trinity. We sometimes forget the fact that when we see the lowliness of Jesus lying on the manger, we forget the majesty of Jesus, that he is still divine and he is still God, that he is still the eternal, self-existent God. And that's why when you just even look at the Gospels, just understanding how each author has introduced Jesus, it's just fascinating to me when I was preparing for this, when you just see how Matthew and Luke introduce Jesus. Matthew centers the identity of Jesus' birth on the genealogy. He says, okay, this is the genealogy of Christ, and blah, 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 and, this was, and Jesus was born. And then Luke, when you see, he centers the identity of Jesus' birth geographically. He said, on, the, on this day, the angel Gabriel came to the city of Galilee called Nazareth. And then he goes on to say the story of Jesus. So though Matthew and Luke center the birth of Jesus both geographically and genealogically, we see the book of John how does John start his book? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
And this is how John starts his, his gospel. And how fascinating is this that, that he centers the identity of Jesus not genealogically or geographically, but he centers the identity of Jesus eternally. That Jesus existed even before the beginning of time. In the beginning was the word. He existed. The self-existent God there was a time where you and I were not, guys. There was a time where the planets and the galaxies and all the mountains and everything was not. And there was a time when even time was not. But there was never a time when Jesus was not. There was never ever a time that Jesus was not. Jesus Christ is the divine Lord God of the universe. And that's why we see in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, we see, for to us a child is born. For to us a son is given. The son is given. The son was not born. The son eternally existed, and he was given to us on Christmas Day. Praise God that he is this divine God. Divinity by definition cannot be birthed. Divinity by definition is eternal. So Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, came to us on Christmas day. And that's why we see Paul saying in Colossians chapter two, for in him the full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For in him, the whole fullness, nothing lacking divine. Jesus did not become a man by subtracting divinity. He became a man by adding humanity. Jesus, the whole fullness of deity was in him. That's why he says, dwells bodily. Oh, I love the word bodily. He dwells bodily, fully God, fully man. And yes, truly God, truly man. And yes, we of course don't understand this. It is hard for our brains to grasp the, the wonder and the beauty of this truth that Jesus, how could a baby lying in the manger be divine? Most times we often project our creaturely limitations and creaturely qualities on God himself. Sometimes we, we try, to try to box God into our worldview. But that's, but that's not the point. The Bible rightly says this is a mystery. This is a mystery. If you see in 1 Timothy the Bible calls it, we confess, this is a mystery that God was manifested in flesh. So instead of trying to project our creaturely attributes to God, why don't we just receive God as he has revealed us himself? So this Christmas, when you remember when you think about this lowly Jesus lying in the manger, do not forget that he was still divine. So 
as we try to wrap our heads around it, this should evoke us to worshiping him. So instead of trying to understand and unplug and dissect and measure, let's try to marvel and worship at the wonder of Jesus who is divine. Jesus who is divine. And you're probably thinking, John, why, why are you even talking about this? Like, we're, we're at a church, bro. We're, we're not at a mosque or a synagogue or, or whatnot. Like, we're at a church. Why do you even have to say that Jesus is God? For we're, we're in the deep south. Like, we're in Memphis, Tennessee, right? Like, we get our number plates with, in God we trust, like, so we don't, we, we're in the south, bro. We, we know that Jesus is God. But before you move past that very quickly, I want to show you something, a survey that was done recently, uh, actually this year, um, among all Americans, this is a survey done by Ligonier Ministries, and you can go up online and you look at it. There were certain statements that they put forth to Americans, and they asked, both believers and unbelievers, and they asked, hey, where do you stand on this? It might be kind of hard to see, but I can explain it to you. The statement that I want you to focus here is, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And the results are kind of super surprising. You see the first bar graph here, that's just Americans, US adults. You see 53% of people in this side of the chart agree that Jesus was a teacher and not God. So majority of Americans actually believe that Jesus was just a teacher and not God. That's okay. But the bar chart below, I just filtered it to just evangelicals. It's you and me, churchgoers, who believe in the core doctrines of the faith. 43% of evangelicals believe that Jesus was a teacher and not God. 43%, that's four out of 10 who have a distorted view of the divinity of Jesus. Let me flip that around and ask you, who do you believe Jesus is this Christmas? Who do you think Jesus is this Christmas? Maybe you think he's a good person. He had some nice things to say. Maybe even you think he's a good teacher. He had a lot of good moral principles to share. Maybe even you'd think he was a great prophet who, who spoke a lot of things about God. Or maybe even you'd think he was a great revolutionary who fought social or political change. Who is Jesus to you this Christmas? Who we need this Christmas is not a great teacher. Who we need this Christmas is not a great prophet. Who we need this Christmas is not a great revolutionary. Who we need this Christmas is the divine Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who still being divine came down to be with us. 
We need God himself. And that's why who we celebrate this Christmas is neither a great teacher nor a great prophet. Who we celebrate this Christmas is God himself, Jesus Christ. Who are you worshiping today? Maybe you, you know, John, I'm a Christian, I worship Jesus. But who are you functionally worshiping today? When you live out your daily life, who are you actually worshiping? Maybe it's your image, maybe it's your status, maybe it's your career or spouse or whatever it could be. Who are we worshiping this Christmas? Those may be good things, but, but ultimately will lead you disappointed and dissatisfied. All those good gifts of God are crummy gods themselves. Only Christ, the divine God of the universe, can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And that's why this Christmas we come and worship. We come to adore this Christ Jesus the divine creator, God. So Jesus is God. The next slide you would see, do we celebrate Jesus? The next point we see, Jesus is God with. Jesus is God with. And we see in this point that not only is Jesus the infinite, self-existent, independent, glorious God, who was uncreated, the eternal logos of God, he is, even though he is just this transcendent God of this universe, he still became man. He became this imminent God, a God who, who was not distant from us, a God who was not removed from us, who, a God who was not unapproachable to us. The imminence of God, a God whose very presence came to us. A God whose very presence is among us. And even if you see through all throughout the Bible, you see God revealing his heart to you. God revealing his heart to be and dwell with mankind. We see literally right in the first pages of scripture, we see in Genesis how God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And he's fellowshipping with, with humanity. And he, and he loves and he enjoys and he invites them into his presence. But then what happens? Sin enters, Adam and Eve rebel, and they are driven out of the garden from the very presence of God. And then what happens? Then God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to build a temple for me. I want you to build the tabernacle. I want to dwell with my people again. I want to be in their midst. And you see this picture where all the 12 tribes of Israel are camped all around the tabernacle, marking the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God is with his people. But then what happens? Israel sin again. They rebel against God. They go after other nations and, 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 and the ark of God is captured. 
And we see the, the Ark of the Covenant, one of the most sacred places in Jewish history is captured. And that's why Eli's daughter-in-law, when she gives birth and she says, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has left Israel. One of the most tragic things in Israel's history, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has left Israel. And then you see David, and then you see David desiring to build a temple, right? But then God says, your hands have shed much blood, David. So your son, Solomon, will build a temple. And Solomon builds this magnificent temple. And he says, but will indeed God dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain him. And Solomon builds this temple. And then later, soon, we see that Israel remain unfaithful. And we see that, we see Jesus, we see God in his presence depart from the temple. We see in Ezekiel, because a holy God can never dwell among sinful people. As you see God departing from the temple. And, and as the story goes on, and the temple gets destroyed by the siege, and Israel is in captivity, and we come to this point in history where we come to the most challenging page in the Bible. The most challenging page in the Bible is this, is this page that divides the Old Testament and the New Testament. This page remarks 400 years of silence, 400 years of no voice of God, 400 years of no revelation from God. 400 years of church activity, but God was not there. This center page, 400 years of people longing, has God forsaken us? Has God abandoned us? Has God forgotten us? 400 years of doubting and longing and earning. And then, oh, I love the gospel. And then the first page, God intervenes again. And he says, behold, a virgin shall conceive. She shall bear a son. And they shall call him Emmanuel. God with us. And even more so beautifully, John puts it so beautifully. Behold, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The word became flesh. The creator God the God of the universe, the eternal Logos became human without leaving any of his divinity. The sovereign one, the sovereign God of the universe who, held, who holds the galaxies and the stars in his hands is now sound asleep in a manger. The eternal self-existent God, the uncreated creator, who cannot be constrained by time, matter, or space, 
is now six pounds and wrapped up in a swaddling cloth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among us. God tabernacled among us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus became man and he dwelt among us. No more tabernacles, no more theophanies, no more temples. God himself has pitched his tent among us. And that's what we celebrate in Christmas. And even more so glorious than that, that he was not just a God who is with us, but he is also a God who is in us. That he has given us his Holy Spirit to be in us so that you and I are the temples of God. That you and I are the sanctuary of his spirit. Oh, how glorious it is. It should make us wonder and worship him. That you and I, so sinful people, hold the spirit of the almighty God in us. Oh, what glorious truth that God became flesh. I remember when I was a kid in India, and I was, we, we used to go on vacations, and my mom and I, we took this trip to the northern part of India, to the, almost the north, the northernmost part of India, at the foothills of the Himalayas. And uh, as, when we did this trip, I was a probably in my sixth, seventh grade. Um, and as we did this trip, one thing in, in our itinerary was this, uh, was this huge temple. It was this huge temple on this mountain. And, uh, and we had people from differing faiths in our, in our group. So we said, yeah, sure, why not? Well, let's do it. Um, so we took this whole trip up the mountain uh, to go see this temple. And, uh, and man, oh man, it was a, it was a hard trip. Um, we, even in some places, like, we had to, like, climb on horses. We rode on a horse to get up there. It was a tough hike. And um, so once we, once we got up there and we, we were kind of close, it was kind of evening time now, and uh, we had pretty much hiked the whole day uh, to go up to the temple. And we see as we get closer to the temple, there's this huge line this huge line, and everything in me just dropped. I was like, oh no. And as we get closer to this temple, there were people, just throngs of people there, um, and, and we just were able to see the temple, the, 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 the God in the temple, just for probably 10, 15 seconds. And even after, like, from a 50 feet distance from the gate itself. So it was a, it was a very glanced view that we had off the idol that, that was in the temple. It was just for a few seconds, and, and I just felt, man, that's it? Like, all this trouble, up riding up the horses and falling down the mountain, like, that's it? This is it? And I just, like, was so frustrated just coming down, and as I came down the mountain, I was just felt like saying, I said to myself, gosh, thank goodness, my God is not at the top of a mountain. My God is not at the top of a mountain. As I was preparing for this message, God just brought this, brought this story to my mind that there is a God who is not at the top of the mountain. That there is a God who did not ask you to climb your way up to him. 
that there is a God who did not ask you to sweat your way up to him and earn your way up to him. That there is a God who came down the mountain for you and for me. And he emptied himself. And he took upon the form of a servant so that he might dwell with his people. So that he might be with his people. So that his presence can be visible to his people. So that you and I do not ever have to go up and earn our way to him. So that you and I don't have to see him at, from a 50 feet distance. So that you and I don't have to just have a 10 second glance. So that you and I can truly experience the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That you and I can fellowship, commune with God himself. There is a God who came down the mountain for you. That there is a God who left the glories of heaven so that, so that there might be no more alienation, there might be no more enmity between you and God, so that there might be no more separation between you and God. How could a holy God dwell among sinful people? And this is the question, the big question of the Bible. The holy God came in the face of Jesus Christ and he dwelt among us. He is not a God who is against us. He is not a God who is distant from us. He is not a God who is at the mountaintop, but he is the God who is with. He is a God who is with. And finally, I close with this point. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God with us. Who did the announcement come to? Who did the announcement of Jesus' birth come to? You see, it came to the shepherds. It came to the shepherds, guys. Like, the shepherds were not like really classy folk, you know? The shepherds were kind of, I mean, they were out in the fields. Like, imagine with me. I don't know if, if you think about the Bible like this. Like, imagine with me. They were probably out in the field, like maybe cussing out each other, um, maybe even like smoking pot. I don't know. Like, I don't know what they were doing, but is that too much? I don't know. Um, you can edit that out. Um, but, but they were in the field watching their flock, and the good news of Jesus' birth came to them. No wonder they were super afraid when the news came. The Bible says they were greatly afraid. Imagine cussing out your neighbor and then the glory of the Lord comes in front of you. You'd probably be afraid. The good news of Jesus' birth came to the shepherds, not, not the elites, not the billionaires, not, not to the king's palace. Not to the priests, not to the pastors, but it came to the shepherds, lowly, profane, outcasts, inferior. I mean, think about it, Nazareth, really? Nazareth, king of kings and lord of lords? Even the Bible says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Such a disreputable town. And the good news came 
to Nazareth. Mary, seriously? To carry the divine son of God? So afraid? So, so anxious ridden? Mary? And even Joseph, like he's, he's a just man, but he was probably embarrassed and even ashamed to a, to, a, to a degree that he wanted to put away Mary as his wife. The good news of Jesus came not to the elites, not to the rich, not to the super put together, but it came to the outcasts. It came to the unclean, it came to the profane, it came to the embarrassed, it came to the anxious ones. It came to you and me. The good news of Jesus came to you and me. No matter what your story is, guys, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've been through, no matter how messy and crummy your life has been, the good news of Jesus has come to you. Emmanuel has come to you. You and I are not beyond the grace of Jesus Christ. You and I have not outsinned the grace of Jesus Christ. And you are welcomed, and dare I say, even wanted in his presence. You are welcomed and wanted in his presence. As we live between the two advents, one of my favorite verses, and I close with this, in Revelation 21, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Next slide. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and God indeed will dwell with man. As we live between these two advents, as we live in the brokenness of this world, as we feel the pain and the tears and the death and the loss and the mourning, there is an advent that is coming where God will once again dwell with us, where there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sicknesses, there will be no more loss, and there will be no more mourning, because Jesus, our Emmanuel, is coming again. Because Jesus Christ, our God, is coming again, and we will be with him, and we will see him face to face, not like a burning bush, not like a temple, not any theophany, but we will be with him and see him face to face. What a glorious picture of the gospel that he has not abandoned us and he is coming to be with us forever and evermore. I conclude and as the band comes up and the prayer volunteers come up, why don't we just spend some time in prayer? Um, why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? Just we'll ask a couple of questions and 
we will worship in response. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes as we think about the presence of God with us. Maybe you reflect on a time where you felt, you felt really, really lonely. Maybe you felt really vulnerable. Maybe you felt distant from God. Maybe you're feeling hurt. You're feeling despondent. And I don't know where your heart is this morning. I want to let you know that you can invite the Emmanuel God with us into your presence. You can lean into his presence right now where you are. Maybe you're feeling guilty. He can meet you with his grace. Maybe you're feeling hurt. He can meet you with your comfort. Maybe you're feeling ashamed. He can surround you with his honor. Maybe you're feeling sick and just tired. He will cover you with his healing. He will cover you with his rest. Maybe you're feeling lonely. Well, the presence of God is with you. And maybe you're hearing this for the very first time you're hearing this for the very first time and you have not surrendered to the divine king of kings what's stopping you from giving your life to him what's holding you from experiencing the presence of God maybe you've been running to different idols maybe you've been running to work career achievements today there is an opportunity and an invitation for you to return back to the God who is with you. To turn your eyes upon this Emmanuel God. To gaze at his wonderful face. And all the things will grow strangely dim. The light of his glory and grace. So would you trust him? Maybe for the very first time in your life, would you repent and trust him? The greatest gift that God could ever give you is not a promotion or a job or a spouse. The greatest gift that God could ever give you is himself. God, our Emmanuel. Merry Christmas. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com.
We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.